Welcome to Beaver Tracks, a damn good podcast, bringing you inside the world of OSU admissions and providing you with a behind the scenes look at what goes on in Beaver Nation. I'm Heather Wilford, the Senior Assistant Director of Multicultural Recruitment. And I'm Amanda Price, Assistant Director of Resident Recruitment. Thanks for tuning in. Amanda, do you like visiting national parks and national forests? Yes, I really do. Every year I would go with my family to Yosemite and go camping with them during the summer. So I definitely love national parks. I definitely like checking them off. I try to go to as many as possible. And when I moved to Oregon, it was like my chance to finally get Crater Lake National Park marked off the bucket list. And you were with me. And do you remember how much of a disaster that involved? Oh, do I remember? <laughs> it was not the best experience. And not against Crater National Park, but we finally got up there. And it was so snowed in and foggy that we couldn't see the lake at all from the rim it was snowing icy i almost fell down which could be a disaster but finally i did see crater lake national park and it is one of my favorite places in oregon it's absolutely beautiful yeah that day was hysterical there's inclement weather so getting up to the top of it took an hour or more and then when you put your hand out in front of you it's so foggy you can't even see your hand so but we did we went around the rim and we finally found blank open, no clouds, blue sky, and we got a piece of it. So finally got that picture. Every year, lots of people come and visit Oregon, uh, the Pacific Northwest, get out in the great outdoors, see the coast, go to national parks. And so we brought in another representative from the Pacific Northwest to join a quick game before we introduce our researcher of the day. So Jared, welcome to Beaver Tracks. Thank you for having me. Glad to be here. Jared, who are you? Tell the people. That's a great question. My name is Jared Lars. I am a regional admissions advisor here at OSU. I'm actually based off campus in Seattle, Washington. So I live there full time working with our out of state students. I have been here at OSU coming up on seven years. It'll be seven years this fall. So we're like six and a half right now. Um, My favorite national park story, I was kind of inspired by your story of getting to Crater Lake and not being able to see anything. I actually went to go see the Grand Canyon. I was in Phoenix, uh, which is not really near the Grand Canyon at all, but I thought it was. So I rented a car, drove several hours up to Flagstaff, stayed the night, was gonna get a nice early start out to see the Grand Canyon in the morning. And it was completely snowed in um, due to a freak winter storm in like late May. So I did not see the Grand Canyon at all. I decided to go um, see Sedona, Arizona, which happens to be a beautiful trip. I did end up seeing the Grand Canyon from the plane on the way home the next day, so it wasn't a total loss, but um, yeah, still need to check that one off. Jared, of course that would happen to you. It just, of course. Of course. Well, we're super pumped that you're here today, and the listeners might be wondering, what is the obsession with national parks in this introduction of beaver tracks? And it's because you're going to meet one of our great researchers at OSU who does a lot of work within national parks and protected areas. So um, before we bring them onto the show, I wanted to test Amanda and Jared's general knowledge of natural parks, protected areas, national forests, all the great outdoorsy things. Amanda, how are you feeling about this trivia game? Heather, not great, not great. I don't think I will be very successful, but we're gonna give it a go. And my only goal is to beat Jared. Jared said he's very competitive. And so we'll see how it goes, Jared. I, I'm a little competitive. I, I mean, I don't know if I would say I'm feeling great about today, so I don't wanna commit myself to anything yet. 
on a scale from one to 10, I'd say I'm like a three, but I'm excited and we'll see what happens. Well, besides maybe us embarrassing ourselves and our general knowledge, I hope this inspires people to go out and enjoy America's backyard, see some national parks, get out there, enjoy um, what we have to offer and get away from the screens a little bit. So with that, here comes Beaver Tracks Trivia National Park and Forest Edition. First question, in 2019, how many recreation visits did the National Park Service record? Over 100 million, over 200 million, over 300 million, or under or over 400 million? Beep. This is an odd question because I feel like if you answer the first one, you'll be right about all of them. Oh, that's true. <laughs> so I'm going to say and I got it right. <laughs> Amanda wins on a technicality. Wow. <laughs> All my other answers on this, just for out of spite, I'm going to give the point to Jared. Just, Dang it. <laughs> I should never have spoken. All right. What was the real answer? In 2019, over 300 million recreation visits happened in the national parks in the U.S. That's nice. a lot of time. Lots of, lot of people hitting the outdoors. Oh, yeah. Which national park had the most visits in 2019? Rocky Mountain National Park, Great Smoky Mountains National Park, Grand Canyon National Park, or Yosemite National Park? Oh, Jared, I think one. I want to say Smoky Mountains. That's correct, Jared. Ding, 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 ding. Woo! Nice job. 12.5 million. The next highest was the Grand Canyon at 5.97. So Great Smoky Mountains are killing the game here for the number of visits. Next question. What is America's first national park? Yellowstone National Park, Zion National Park, Grand Teton National Park, or Acadia National Park? E Amanda. Grand the Tetons? Nope. Jared, for steel. Acadia? No. <laughs> yep. It is Yellowstone National Park. Oh, well, some guessed. places debate that there are other reserved areas. It is the first established national park in the U.S. So go visit Yellowstone National Park. Check out the bison, the hot springs, the old faithful geyser. Lots of great things to see. Oregon is home to Crater Lake National Park, as we know from our introduction. And it's the deepest lake in the U.S. and the ninth deepest in the world. How deep is Crater Lake? 1,220 feet? 1,459 feet? 1,713 feet? Or 1,943 feet? Okay, Amanda. 1,943 feet. 1,943 feet. Great job, Amanda. That's my first point. <laughs> We're halfway through, and at least we got something on the board here. You could the actually, first one should have been mine, though. Let's yeah. Yeah. You can actually fit the Empire State Building in Crater Lake National Park in terms Ooh. of depth, right? Depth. Yeah, wow. The Empire State Building is tall, which is pretty cool. The more you know, this is the first 
Oregon versus Washington question. So, okay. Getting ready. Which state between Oregon and Washington has the most national forests? B, I want to say Washington. <laughs> no, Jared. No! Uh, my home state letting me down. Oregon me, winning by default. Yeah, Oregon has 11 national forests. Washington has six national forests. Here's another Washington versus Oregon question. Which is taller, Mount Hood or Mount Rainier? Me. Ooh, it's close. Jared? I'm, I'm probably taking a risk picking Washington again, but Mount Rainier. That's correct, Jared. They didn't let you down on this one. All right. 30,000 feet taller. Good job, Washington. Does Oregon and Washington have the same state tree? Because it's a question on this quiz, I'm going to say yes. No. They do not. Jared, do you (laughs) know what Washington state tree is? State tree is the Western hemlock? That's correct. Wow, I have no idea. No idea what state tree is. Oregon is the Douglas fir. Oh, okay. Here's my Oregon card. Yep, they don't have the same state tree, but you know what they do have that's the same? Hmm. The same state dance, which is the square dance. No, it isn't. It is, yes. I do remember in elementary school having to learn how to square dance. Did either of you have to do that? It wasn't in school, but I at some point did, yeah. I'm going to drop some knowledge on you here about the, the great states of the Pacific Northwest. Jared, did you know the state gem of Washington is petrified wood? I did not know that, but I'm not totally surprised. Are you petrified? No. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Washington also has a state ship and a state oyster. There's some randomness for you. Oregon is not left out of the strange facts. Oregon has a state beverage. Amanda, any guesses? Either coffee or beer. It's milk. No, it isn't. Milk? (laughs) Milk. (laughs) What is the origin story of that? I don't know, but we know. I'm going to kick it to Tillamook because they have great dairy products. So I'm going to say maybe that's where it stems from. But we do have our own state crustacean and sea cell and state soil. So there's a lot. Learn about your states, kids. There's a lot mm-hmm. of information out there. We, we can't leave this topic without talking about what Oregon State's animal is, though. That's true, Amanda. And that was my next question. Jared? The greatest animal ever known. It looks especially good dressed in orange and black. Yeah, it does. Jared, I'll give it to you if you get it. It's, it's the beaver. Yeah! <laughs> I mean, I knew that too, right? We, I think it's a requirement. If you work at OSU, you know that the beaver is the state animal. Exactly. The beaver... Is the state animal of Oregon? And with that, let's jump into this week's episode of Beaver Tracks. Welcome back. Today's guest is Ashley D'Antonio, an assistant professor in the College of Forestry here at Oregon State. Ashley received her bachelor's degree in biology from Pennsylvania State University her master's and PhD in human dimensions of ecosystem science and management from Utah State University. She uses GPS tracking, GIS analysis, and vegetation mapping to study how human interactions impact the environment when they're out enjoying the great outdoors, such as national parks and national forests. 
This information helps inform management practice in these protected areas and on public lands. She also teaches classes such as outdoor recreation management on public lands and planning for sustainable recreation for Beaver Nation. Welcome to our podcast, Ashley. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to chat with you. We're glad you're here. The very first question we like to ask our guests is where do you like to get coffee or a hot beverage on campus or in Corvallis? Great question. On campus, I think my favorite place to get coffee or chai tea, which is my other favorite hot beverage, uh, is Java Stop in the Memorial Union. So that is that is one of my favorite places. It's a little bit of a walk from my building, but it's totally worth it. it that is definitely a fan favorite for sure. People can't fight the draw of the Memorial Union. It's just not possible. It's a great building. So we wanted to know a little bit about how you got involved in this research, how you got into your field, because we heard you were a middle school and high school teacher in a previous life. That That is true. And my path to my field is a little bit like the trails that I study. It kind of wanders and winds sometimes. Uh, so I actually, I was always interested in nature. I was always interested in wildlife growing up. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to study in undergraduate. So biology seemed like a good general field where I could kind of go different directions later in life, but still had that connection to the natural world. So I studied biology and at Penn State where I did my undergrad, the classes are really, really large and intro bio. And so we have undergraduate teaching assistants that sometimes run the labs. So I got the opportunity to do that, which was my first introduction to teaching, which I loved. So I loved biology. I loved teaching in my free time. I really enjoyed being outside and recreating in the outdoors. And so when I graduated with my degree in biology, I wasn't really sure still what I wanted to do. I had all these interests. So I, I was able to find a position as a middle school, high school teacher at a private school. So I was like, oh, this could be an interesting thing to try for a couple of years and see if I like it. And maybe I want to go back and get a teaching degree. So during those two years, I taught and I really missed research. So I started looking up different types of things that I could study for graduate school and ended up finding this field of recreation ecology, which I had no idea existed. <laughs> uh, I was literally just Googling different programs related to conservation and nature. And when I learned about this field, that it was this intersection of conservation and ecology and um, you know, outdoor recreation and social science, it was the perfect thing for me. And I also realized that if I went through and got a PhD, I could get a job at university and continue teaching. So this university job at Oregon State is the perfect intersection of all my scientific interests and the interest in teaching that I, that I still have. I really love my job here um, and working with students in the College of Forestry. That is one of my favorite things about college when I'm talking with students who are looking at going to the university is just the variety of things that you can study. You know, you get so trained in like the typical classes you take in high school, but there's so much out there that you could get a degree in. So I love that it kind of like came back and you're able to discover a whole new thing when you started looking again. I love your passion for research. So next question is related to it. Your current research will explore how roads and trails may impact and might cause habitat fragmentation in both Rocky Mountain and Yellowstone National Parks. Can you tell us a little more about the study and how it will help the park managers? Of course. Yeah, so this study is trying to do a couple of things. So from a research standpoint, often in outdoor recreation management and recreation ecology in my field, we study things at kind of the human scale. 
kind of a small scale. So a trail or a small lake system, but that's not the same scale that different ecosystem components like wildlife or hydrology or watersheds function at, right? Can be a bigger scale, the scale of a whole park, um, much larger. And so this study is trying to kind of zoom out to look at how recreation looks on a landscape and how things like road and trails may overlap with habitat that might be important for wildlife. So wildlife move around parks from different habitat areas to other habitat locations. Um, they can migrate through. And so we're just kind of looking at the pattern of those roads and trails as they overlay on top of these habitats that could be important to wildlife. So we're gonna look at things like connectivity, which is again, how connected those habitats are fragmentation, how those roads or trails kind of cross through different habitats. And we're going to hopefully be able to provide the park with an idea of where there might be areas of concern, where they might want to put resources towards studying those locations in a little more detail. Maybe a road cuts through a habitat patch that's really important for moose, as, as an example. The park could then go to that location and kind of look a little deeper to see if there are any issues between the recreation use and the moose that are kind of crossing those areas to get from important habitat type, as an example. And so it's really to help the parks kind of zoom out to look at the overall use of <laughs> recreation in their landscapes to hopefully refine and answer some more specific questions. So I love this project because we're really working really closely with Rocky Mountain National Park in Yellowstone um, to help them look towards the future about questions they may want to explore more deeply and to help them with their future management as they think about recreation use. I'm really excited to hear what the results of this end up being because Yellowstone National Park, I grew up not too far from there and animal jams, not that might be results of this, but you cannot go through Yellowstone National Park without at least one bison blocking your, your road. <laughs> Those darn bison. So outside of things like GPS and GIS, which you use a lot in your research, you also use a lot of social uh, surveys, you know, connecting with visitors on how they perceive ecological impacts and how it influences their behaviors when they explore parks and national protected areas. How do you utilize that in your research since you're looking at how humans interact with the, the, the national park? Yeah, that's a great question. So with my research, again, one of the things I love about it is it get, we, I get to do some the natural science and the ecology, but then we also have this social science aspect since people are recreating these places and we want to understand what they're doing and, and experience that they're having. We want people to have good experiences in our parks and protected areas when they're recreating. So these social science surveys that I use kind of have two, two main purposes for my research. One is to see if other folks notice these recreation impacts. So I'm like trained to see them when I go hiking. I can't not see trails that visitors have created and I can't not see when, you know, the vegetation is trampled, but I'm not kind of your average visitor, right? So we want to know what do visitors perceive? Do they notice these impacts? If they do, does it influence their experience? They have less of a good time if they see these impacts from other recreationists, or is it okay? Do they not perceive it? That can help managers decide to what to prioritize. If it's an ecological impact and it's impacting the visitor experience, if folks notice it and think it's a problem, that can help us figure out how best to use our resources to mitigate or manage those impacts. The other thing that the social science surveys can help with my research is to understand why people do what they do in parks and protected areas. Uh, so, you know, if someone's hiking off trail, they're having more impact than someone who stays on the trail all the time. And so I want to understand what are the decisions that happen that result in folks hiking off trail or doing other behaviors that can be a little more impactful because we can understand 
the drivers of those behaviors, we can better manage and mitigate those impacts. We can better target education. Um, we can better come up with ways to make predict where impact might happen so that we can be a little more proactive to prevent those impacts. So it's really, social science surveys really help us balance that providing great visitor experiences while also protecting the natural resources in these parks and protected areas. This is reminding me of going to a corn maze in the fall and seeing all those, all the trails that are not part of the maze and this is you when you're trying to reach the goal. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but it just made me think of that. Like we need signs up. We need you just for corn mazes. <laughs> I love fall and I love corn mazes. I'm all over that. <laughs> That's a perfect segue though to the next thing. Uh, Cause based on your experiences and research, what is something people should think about when they visit parks that they normally may not? Yeah. So I think we, sometimes we think that outdoor recreation doesn't have an impact. And although it might not be as impactful as some other things that can happen in nature, it's not impact free. And so one of the things that I encourage folks to do is even before you go to a park or protected area, even if it's when you've been for a while, look up the rules and regulations, look up at the recommendations, um, you know, remind yourself of the principles of leave no trace, which is really great to apply across different parks to protected areas. Um, so I really encourage folks to kind of do their homework ahead of time to figure out like, okay, well, what in the park and protected area that I'm visiting might be sensitive. So like here in the Oregon coast, we have uh, Western snowy plovers, which are a protective bird species. They're also really cute. The babies are adorable. You should look up a picture of them if you've not. But during times of the year when they're breeding, you have to be really careful where you walk on the beaches. And so even if you've been to the Oregon coast multiple times, you might want to remind yourself about the beaches that have the snowy plovers, what time of the year are the plovers there. So doing that homework ahead of time, that kind of like be prepared before you go, you know, I think that's like a Boy Scouts motto, but it's also a principle for leave no trace, making sure you understand how in the place that you're going, how can you minimize your impact while you're enjoying nature there? There are so many places to visit. I mean, like just even that example, thinking about going to the Oregon coast and, and everything, your research has brought you all over, but you're also pretty active just in probably exploring, you know, your surroundings and the great outdoors. Has there been a favorite national park or national forest that you have visited? Yeah, it's hard to pick a favorite, but I will say I think Rocky Mountain National Park is my favorite because that's where I started my research as a recreation ecologist. It was the first park I worked at as a graduate student. And it's just amazing. It's an amazing park. It has so many different types of opportunities. You can have these high alpine hikes or hikes to lakes. Uh, so that's that's one of my favorite my favorite parks. The the national forests in Oregon are amazing though too. Since I've moved here, I've been able to explore a lot of the places that are really close to the Corvallis campus, and I've really enjoyed exploring our local national forests. So those are also a favorite. Once COVID lifts some travel restrictions and we're able to move about a little bit more, is there a national park or forest that's next on the bucket list that you just can't wait to check off? Yes, North Cascades in Washington. That national park is my next. I had a trip to plan there before COVID that we canceled. <laughs> so I definitely, since I've moved to the Pacific Northwest, it's been on my list and almost almost made it there. But it's definitely going to be the next place I plan a trip to once it's safe to start traveling again. Our Washington rep, Jared, would be so proud of that answer. <laughs> Getting up there into his home state. I've never been up there. Have you, Heather? I don't think I visited that national park, but I'm going to put it on my bucket list now. Any advice for students who are interested in studying natural resources or another program in the College of Forestry at OSU? Yeah, I think, I don't know if it's so much as advice, but maybe just a little bit of 
of background about the, the College of Forestry and studying there. All of the different topics and degrees in the College of Forestry are very interdisciplinary. So if you're a folks that's kind of interested in nature, but social science too, or policy, these degrees are really excellent. So you don't have to like just be interested in natural resources or in forestry to, I think, really get a lot out of the degrees that we offer in the college. And another thing I love about working in the College of Forestry is that it's kind of smaller program. So I really get to know the students really well. And I love that. I, you know, I was in a very large program at Penn State for my undergraduate, and I didn't feel like I had that same personal connection with my professors and with students in my cohort. And I feel like it's way different in the College of Forestry. And I love kind of how, how much of a family we are in that college. It's one of my favorite things about working there and teaching there. That's awesome. I also love our College of Forestry because it does such a great job of getting students like really out there and doing research and just being hands on. And, and if you want to work in the outdoors, you want to learn in the outdoors, right? And so that's an opportunity that you definitely get from the College of Forestry here. Yes, definitely. There's so much, so much opportunities to be outside and use, use nature as a classroom in the College of Forestry. It's wonderful. Well, our last question, and it cannot go undiscussed, is that you are an avid knitter and spearheaded a sweet national park blanket for its centennial celebration, which I looked up and it was dope. It was so cool. So tell us a little bit about that, but then also what knitting project happened over COVID quarantine? I love talking about knitting. I'm so happy you're asking this. (laughs) So the National Park uh, or National Park Service Centennial Blanket was a project with me and my knitting group where I went to graduate school. And each month, uh, during the National Park Service Centennial, which was 2016, we released a, a blanket square that you could knit a pattern for a blanket square for each national park. So we released like five a month across the year. So by the end of the year, you could have knitted a blanket which a blank with a blanket square representing each park. And so a lot of the folks that helped me with it were other scientists or other academics who had done research in parks. So like I picked the, the squares to design where I had done my research. I designed the Rocky Mountain National Park one and the Grand Teton one. And we donated the proceeds from selling the pattern to make the blanket yourself to the National Park Foundation so that we could continue to use the project to support research and the nonprofits associated with the National Park Service. And during COVID, I did not need anything practical. I got very into knitting gnomes, stuffed gnomes, which I know sounds kind of silly, but they're so cute and whimsical and they made me smile. And there's a woman who designs all these patterns for different gnomes for different themes. One's kind of wintry, one's more summery design. And so I've literally knit about nine gnomes <laughs> since the start That's of quarantine. Awesome. <laughs> so. Sounds like you yeah. might need to start an Etsy shop or something for now. <laughs> right. Yes. Each one just adds a little whimsy to my life during the, the COVID quarantine. So it's been wonderful. Do any of the gnomes sport the orange and black as a representative for Oregon State in the gnome world? Oh my goodness, not yet, but you just gave me a great idea for the next yarn choices I'm going to make for my next gnome. <laughs> Love it. A gnome in a beaver costume, perhaps? Don't know what it'll look like, but <laughs> level expert. Yes. I have met a tiny beaver in an orange sweater for a student that used to work in my lab a few years ago when she graduated. So so I have had experience knitting, knitting a little knit Benny the beaver. That's amazing. I love it. That really is. 
I wish I had the skills and talents that you do. So creative <laughs> researcher. Um, Ashley, it's been such a privilege and a pleasure to get to know you. Thank you so much for being on our podcast today. That is a wrap. Join us next time to find out more about what's going on in Beaver Nation. It will be a damn good time. Ashley, can we get a go Beavs to close us out? Sure. Go Beavs. Go Beavs. Go Beavers. Woo.